Thank you, Brother Chairman, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, the section uh, from this chapter that our uh, Chairman read for us this evening detail the circumstances that led the Apostle Paul to Rome. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, who commissioned him to be a minister of the gospel, said to him that thou must bear witness of me in Rome. And so Paul came to Rome, and as he bore witness to the gospel message, to the reality of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel and the Messiah of the world, he came and addressed the Jewish people. And later, of course, he was able, as we know, uh, to uh, extend the gospel message even to those who, are, who were of Caesar's household in Rome, the very heart of the Roman Empire. And in verse 20, which was the last verse that our chairman read for us, he summarised the cause that he witnessed for. And the cause was to speak to them about the hope of Israel, for which cause he was bound with the chain. And we want to understand what that hope of Israel is uh, by virtue of our lecture this evening, but also to understand uh, how it is connected to the preaching of the, of the Apostle Paul particularly in verse 23 and 31, which make reference to the gospel message. So the Apostle Paul was preaching the gospel under the, uh, under the uh, expression, the hope of Israel, and we want to explain the connection between that and, as we said, verse 23 and verse 31, the detail for us what the preaching of the hope of Israel constituted. Now, if you've got... Uh, Acts chapter 28 open, you'll see in verse 23 that the Apostle Paul expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. And so the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ were the two parts of the gospel message that he was expounding. It was the hope of Israel. You'll see it again in verse 31. He was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things that concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Now, when we look at where the Apostle Paul was drawing the things concerning the kingdom of God and the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, it was out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets. And it is important that we understand that the two elements that the Apostle Paul described as, the, as summarized in the hope of Israel were actually drawn from the Old Testament scriptures. So it is important for us to understand that if we want to know the things concerning the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul didn't have a New Testament Bible. It wasn't actually published. It wasn't in print. It wasn't available. His Bible was the Old Testament scriptures. And he was able from the Old Testament scriptures to speak about the things relating to the kingdom of God and the things that were related by prophecy of the fact that Jesus that they had witnessed was the actual Messiah fulfilling the prophecies concerning God's involvement in saving not only the Jewish people but the world. And so those two verses become for us a summary of what the hope of Israel contains. And just so that we understand that that is related to the gospel, Acts chapter 8 and verse 12, Philip the evangelist, 
who was preaching the gospel um, in Acts 8 verse 12 was preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ and the word preaching there is the word evangelizo from which we get our well, the word evangelist comes from that from which uh, we get our, our, our word evangelist or evangelize but that's actually the Greek word translated in other parts of the New Testament the gospel the good news and that good news of course is God's message to mankind so we can see what Paul was preaching in Acts chapter 28 in those two parts the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ from the Old Testament is actually what we know as the gospel message. And it comprises those two elements. That was the hope of Israel. And we want to make sure by the end of tonight we understand why it is labelled or why that gospel message of those two parts is actually called the hope of Israel. Now the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was preaching to the woman at Samaria, who herself was a Gentile woman, so she wasn't uh, of Jewish extraction. He said some words to her as recorded in John chapter 4, which are very important as they relate to our subject this evening. The woman of Samaria did not understand the saving gospel message that Jesus was preaching to her. And he made some very strong uh, statements about the fact that her understanding was false and her worship was false. So when Jesus, the Son of God, makes strong statements like that, we need to really pay attention. He's, he identified what true worshippers are like, what belongs to true worship that is acceptable to God. Of the woman's worship and of her belief, he said to her in strong language, you worship, you know not what. In other words, if we put that into the English equivalent, you have no idea what you believe. You have no idea what your worship is about. We know, speaking of the Jewish people, we know what we worship because salvation is of the Jews. Now that expression, salvation is of the Jews, is actually an equivalent expression to the hope of Israel. Salvation comes from God's involvement in the life of the Jewish people. And speaking about how important that is, linking that to how we worship God, this woman had no idea what she believed and no idea what worship was about. He said to her, the true worshippers that worship the Father, worship him in spirit, in sincerity and in truth, that is based on biblical truth. And they, that is true worshippers, that worship God with genuine sincerity and worship according to the truth as taught in the scriptures are the worshippers that God seeks. And that is a very important message that Jesus gave to this woman. Salvation comes from God's involvement in the Jewish people. Now when the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected, he spent time with his apostles before he ascended to heaven. And in Luke chapter 24 and verse 44 to 47, take a note of these, we won't turn all of these references up. The Lord Jesus Christ made sure that his apostles, before he left and commissioned them to preach the gospel in his absence, made sure that they understood the two elements of the gospel message. 
First, the things that related to himself. He said to them, all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets and in the Psalms. So you see, we've highlighted that because we need to understand that if we haven't got a grasp of the Old Testament scriptures, we don't understand the gospel, the true gospel. It is keyed into the prophecies of the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. So that's the entire Old Testament scriptures. Concerning me, that is concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. So see how important the Old Testament scriptures are for us to come to understand the things concerning Jesus Christ. And they understood that. He made sure that they understood that because he was going to commission them to go and preach that gospel. Now in Acts chapter 1, he spent 40 days with them. And Acts chapter 1 and verse 3 particularly says that in those 40 days, his focus was on the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Remember, no New Testament scriptures, his Old Testament scriptures, which he expounded for 40 days, gave them a picture of the kingdom of God to come. And that, of course, prompted a question in verse 6 from the apostles. Will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And that question was not a misquotation of the term, the kingdom of God. It was an understanding that the kingdom of God had a connection to the kingdom of Israel, which existed in the past, and that the kingdom of God to come was a restored kingdom to Israel that existed in the past. They understood the connection because Jesus, in 40 days, that's a long time, you imagine being with Jesus for 40 days and for every day of those 40 days, opening up the scriptures and understanding the things relating to the kingdom of God. It was the kingdom of Israel that was to be restored. And they understood that. And so, on the basis of that, education by the Lord Jesus Christ he sent the apostles out into all the world to preach that gospel. The things concerning the kingdom of God and the things concerning the name of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament scriptures. And he said, who believes that gospel? Believes the gospel message and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believes not shall be condemned. Now I'd like you to come with me to the epistle that the the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatian believers. I am going to have these, um, uh, these scriptures summarized on a slide, but I'd just like you to come there because as we highlight a few of the references, I want you to glance your eyes over the, uh, the, the section from which we've extracted a few verses. The first section is actually a prayer that the Apostle Paul gave on behalf of the believers in the Galatian region. And this is in verse 3 and 3 to 5 of the first chapter. He says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So at the outset, the Apostle Paul announced to the believers that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. And that he also provided a way of deliverance from this present evil world to a better world to come. That's the prayer he gave for the believers in Galatia as he opened this epistle. This epistle. In his mind, you can see he's got the, the name of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. 
And so he launches into the importance of the gospel message, particularly from verse 6 to 9, with a very strong warning about the fact that there were perverted gospels that he didn't want them to fall prey to because those false gospels had perverted the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And so strong is his language that he says, even though an angel knocks on your door, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, that is, other than the things concerning the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ as taught in the Old Testament scriptures, than that which we have preached, of course, preached, which of course came with the authority and, and commission of Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Now that is strong language. And he repeats that twice. So let's understand that the true gospel that Jesus spoke to the woman of Samaria about, that God wants us to worship him genuinely, sincerely, and according to truth, now, the Apostle Paul says now there is a true gospel and there is a false or perverted gospel. And it is a matter of life and death. So it does matter that we understand the true gospel message. That's how the Apostle Paul commences this letter. Now, across in chapter 3, he's going to help us to understand the origins of the gospel message. And in chapter 3 and verse 7 to 9 particularly, he helps us to understand that Abraham is integral to the gospel message because it was first preached to him. This is Galatians 3 verse 8. And the scripture. So remember the term scripture? The Old Testament Bible. The scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now, I've offered a paraphrase because sometimes the King James language is not easy to understand. Here's how we could paraphrase verse 8. The scripture, the Old Testament scriptures, foretold that God would justify the Gentile nations through faith. And we'll explore what the term justification means. That he would make righteous the Gentile nations through faith. And this is why God first preached the gospel to Abraham in these words. In thee shall all nations be blessed. So the gospel message was first preached to Abraham to announce or foretell God's purpose with the world. And that was that he would, as Paul expressed it in, verse, uh, in chapter 1 and verse 4, that he would save us from our sins to make righteous to justify that involves the forgiveness of sins more about that later here's a summary teaching of this verse in this in his promised blessing to abraham god foretold his purpose to extend the forgiveness of sins in order to make sinners righteous to believers that is those who are of faith. The word faith and belief in the New Testament Bible is exactly the same word. So don't get confused when we use the terms belief and faith. They are actually the same in the Greek. Forgiveness of sins to believers or those that are of faith in the one true gospel from all nations to enable them to stand justified or righteous before God. 
That is a very fundamental uh, basis for the gospel message. And if we don't understand the promises to Abraham, which Paul references when he said, saying, that is, quoting, in thee shall all nations be blessed, we need to go back and understand what that promise was that God gave to Abraham as Paul quotes it now uh, in Galatians 3 verse 8. Now, that's important because this blessing that God has promised that's going to extend to all nations, the blessing of forgiveness of sins and being made to stand righteous or justified before God is actually a blessing given to Abraham and all of the faithful will receive that blessing with a man who was known as a faithful man, the father of the faithful, Abraham. So the hope of the gospel is for us to receive the same blessing as Abraham. So we need to understand the promises to Abraham. So let's come back to Genesis chapter 12. I hope you followed our train of thought as we've started with the hope of Israel, which we found by the Apostle Paul's preaching is actually the same as the gospel message, the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ that is revealed to us in the Old Testament scriptures. And that Paul has told us that we have to be careful that we understand the true gospel because that is a matter of life and death. And that the true gospel was actually preached to Abraham, quoting Genesis 12 and verse 2 and 3. So it is important for us to understand the true gospel from the Old Testament scriptures. So I've got on the screen verse 2 and 3, and I've highlighted, um, actually you can't see that very well, I'm sorry. It's supposed to be blue, but it is in italics as well. That's the quote that we read of in Galatians chapter 3. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So here is the promise that God made to Abraham. Paul calls this the gospel message that was first preached to Abraham. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Isn't it helpful to have the Apostle Paul's explanation of what the message was in that promise in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8? It helps us to understand what that promise actually uh, was, uh, was about. I will make of thee a great nation. Now you might remember that that was part one of this four-part series because that nation is the Jewish people, God's chosen people. That was the first part of this promise. And then in Genesis chapter 13, and you may remember if you were here, if you weren't, I would recommend you listen to the three lectures that lead up to tonight because we went to Genesis 13 to see that as this promise is extended throughout the chapters of Genesis, Abraham was promised an eternal inheritance of the land that he uh, could walk through, northward, southward, eastward and westward that he could see. God had promised that to him and to his seed, his descendants forever. And that's why we had that lecture entitled, Israel, God's chosen land. God chose that land and he promised that to Abraham and to his descendants. And in Genesis 22, which was another chapter that um, uh, our lecturers took us to, we have a reference to the city of Jerusalem. And uh, if you uh, remember the lecture last week, our chairman actually quoted uh, for us 
the words of 2nd of Chronicles 3 and verse 1, which is actually in the Oxford margin, to help, uh, to help us understand that the place uh, of uh, the, the sacrifice of Isaac by Abraham was actually on Mount Moriah, and Mount Moriah is at Jerusalem. And so we had that lecture that focused on how important this place was and how important this event was as it outlined what was going to happen in the city of Jerusalem in the advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's interesting is that Abraham, understanding what God was teaching him about this, uh, this uh, test of his faith in the offering of Isaac, named this place in verse 14, Yahweh Yireh. See in the King James Bible, Jehovah Jireh. Well, the correct pronunciation of that is Yahweh Yaira. And that name means, as you can see, um, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Abraham understood that the events of Genesis 22 were a foreshadowing of something else that was going to be seen in this place. And we don't have to guess what Abraham saw because the Lord Jesus Christ in John 8 verse 56 says... What Abraham saw was the day of Jesus Christ. And here's the Lord Jesus Christ saying, your father, speaking to the Jewish people of his day, saw, rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad, and he was glad because God provided for him a ram in the stead of his son by which he was led to understand that God would provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And that he understood was the same as the Messiah that he was promised. And that was, of course, made very clear in the promise that God gave him in this same chapter when he referred to a singular descendant that would have victory over his enemies in this promise of Genesis 22. And in fact, we were also told that this promise, which was the last of the promises to Abraham, was a sworn oath. You see that in verse 16, by myself I have sworn. That's the language of an oath. God took out an oath. So whilst before that God made promises to Abraham, which were conditional upon his obedience, the obedience of faith, now because his faith had been brought to perfection and he had proved himself an obedient servant, a man of great faith, God now took an oath and made an unconditional promise to Abraham about the destiny of him, the destiny of his descendants, and a singular descendant of his. And you'll see I've highlighted that in bold. Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. That expression we saw in Genesis 12, didn't we? And Paul quotes that in Galatians 3 verse 8. That becomes like a bookend of the series of promises God made to Abraham. Now, Paul speaks about this in Hebrews chapter 6, and if you uh, uh, like to do Bible marking, Hebrews 6 verse 13 uh, would be a good, um, actually, I think that should be to 20. Um, Hebrews 6 verse 13 to 20, I think. There's, I don't think there's 30 verses in that chapter. But that section is where the Apostle Paul actually speaks about God's promises to Abraham. And he said, when God made promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Blessing I will bless thee, multiplying I will multiply, 
the, he's quoting from Genesis 22 and verse 17. And Paul goes on to say, wherein God willing more abundantly to show the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things now, two unchangeable things that are cemented, that are certain and sure, that is, the promises God made, and above and beyond those promises, an irrevocable oath, in which it was impossible for God to lie anyway, we... Speaking to the believers of his day, we have, uh, we have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope. And here's where the word hope comes back into our lecture. It's the hope of Israel. Because it was made to the father of the Jewish people, the father of Israel. And it's our hope made possible in the Lord Jesus Christ. Which hope we have as an anchor as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. So it is important that we understand the Old Testament and particularly the promises to Abraham and understand how the gospel was announced to Abraham. And so what we have seen in terms of summary so far is that the one true gospel of salvation to all families of the earth is the hope of Israel as promised to Abraham. So if we want to understand the true gospel, the true gospel that provides for us a hope of the kingdom of God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to understand these elements of that one true gospel message. That's the hope of Israel. And what are the things that the scriptures teach concerning the kingdom of God? We find that the kingdom of God is eternal because God told Abraham, you are going to inherit this land that I've promised to you forever. It's on earth because Abraham was told, look north, south, east and west, all the land that you see, I'll give it to you and your seed forever. Arise, walk through the land, through the length and through the breadth, all the land you walk on. Even though Acts 7 in the speech of Stephen said, God gave him not so much land as to set his foot on, even though he promised it to him for an everlasting inheritance, Abraham knew that that inheritance was a future inheritance on earth. It is the hope of Israel. It is the kingdom of Israel restored. It will be centered in Jerusalem, as Abraham also came to understand. The significance of that city was not just significant because it was the place where Jesus Christ in his day was sacrificed, but the place where he will be king of the kingdom of God on earth. And this is God's salvation that he has extended to the world. Well, when we come back to Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul helps us appreciate that this gospel message was actually, in, preached, in, in being preached to Abraham, was really centred upon that singular descendant that we learned of in in Genesis 22 and verse 18 the singular descendant that would have victory over his enemies those enemies relate to sin and death the greatest enemies that threaten mankind and in Galatians 3 verse 16 the apostle Paul helps us to understand that 
the singular seed that was referred to in the promises to Abraham was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So to Abraham and to his descendants were those promises made. We've seen that. His descendants by faith, Jew and Gentile, that is, the Jewish people that descended from him literally, but that promise was to be extended to all families of the earth, all nations, and so any of those nations could be incorporated into the hope of Israel, even if they weren't Abraham's literal descendants. So to Abraham and to his descendants of faith, Jew and Gentile, were the promises made. And Paul says, now when God promised to Abraham and to his seed all of the blessings that would come, he wasn't speaking about those promises being made directly to Abraham and his descendants as though they were all going to receive that inheritance because they were descendants by, uh, by faith of Abraham. They were going to receive it because of the singular descendant who would make it all possible. And those promises that were made to Abraham were actually in the first instance made to Abraham and to the Lord Jesus Christ. And through the Lord Jesus Christ, extended to all of the descendants of Abraham. Look at the deliberate language of Paul. When God made that promise to Abraham and to his descendants, he saith not unto seeds of many, that is, of many descendants. He was focused on one descendant, and that descendant was the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we say that the gospel contains the things relating to the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ... Jesus Christ is the means by which we will inherit those promises, by which Abraham will inherit those promises. He is the means by which those promises will be made possible. And that's how Paul ends this chapter. In verse 26 to verse 29, the Apostle Paul outlines to us the connection of Jesus Christ to the hope of the promises made to Abraham. He says in verse 27, as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, and we know that that's important because the Lord sent his apostles out to preach the gospel and that whoever believed that gospel and was baptized should be saved. So we understand why Paul is referring to baptism now for those who are the believers in those promises. As many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, have have been associated with Jesus Christ. And in this relationship, it doesn't matter what our nationality is. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Our social status, we can be a slave or we can be a free man, which was relevant to those that Paul was preaching to. It doesn't even matter whether we are male or female. We can, by faith, be baptised into the Lord Jesus Christ and be children of God on the basis of that verse 26 children of God by belief in the gospel by faith in Christ Jesus and then he says in verse 29 and if we are associated with Jesus Christ by faith verse 26 belief in the gospel and baptism verse 27 we are associated with the Lord Jesus Christ then that makes us constitutes us Abraham's descendants the ones to whom the promises were made who would be blessed with faithful Abraham we are Abraham's seed those that God promised an eternal inheritance to and heirs according 
to the promise. So the steps are very easy for us to understand. And the connection between the hope of Israel and the gospel message and our embracing of it. So the things concerning the name of Jesus Christ are important. Faith or belief in the true gospel makes us God's children. We're summarising what we've just read from Galatians 3. Baptism into Christ associates us with Christ. We put on Christ. Association with Christ constitutes us as Abraham's seed, his descendants. And association with Abraham makes us heirs of God's promise to him of eternal blessing in the kingdom of God on earth. That is all possible, made possible by the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the singular descendant critical to fulfilment of those promises. Now, so important is this, as the only means by which we can attain those promises and inherit the kingdom, that when the apostles went out to preach, they made it very, very clear that there is only one way to eternal life, one way to be part of these promises and part of God's kingdom. Here's the apostle Peter preaching the gospel and he made it very clear that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, they were preaching the gospel and performing miracles as evidence of their authority. And Peter says, neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If we don't have faith in Christ Jesus, verse 26 we've just read, and if we are not baptised into Christ Jesus, there is no way that our life can be preserved from this present evil age and we be granted an eternal inheritance with Abraham in the kingdom of God. No other way. Hope of Israel is the one true gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ to all families of the earth as promised to Abraham. There is no other way. The hope of Israel is the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ foretold by the Old Testament prophets. The hope of Israel is the blessing of the forgiveness of sins, the hope of standing justified before God, and the hope of being delivered to a better eternal world to come. And that is only possible. That is the, the only way that we can choose that, that hope of Israel. Is by belief and baptism into the name of Jesus Christ. As we have seen from both the Lord's commission in Matthew, sorry, Mark chapter 16. And Paul's words here in Galatians chapter 3. We live in exciting times. Christadelphians have put on these lectures about, these four lectures about the hope of Israel and leading up to them all of the basis upon which we have evidence that this hope of Israel is a real hope. The Jews are God's people. The land that they currently are in is God's chosen land. And the city of Jerusalem is God's city and the city of the great king that is to come. These words were written by John Thomas in 1848. He wrote this prior to World War I and prior to the commencement of events that have absolutely excited Bible students ever since because they confirm to us that we are living in the very, very last days before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to establish that kingdom. 
This is what he wrote. 1848, remember. The pre-adventual colonisation of Palestine will be on purely political principles and the Jewish colonists will return, that is, to the land of Palestine in unbelief of the Messiahship of Jesus. They will emigrate thither as agriculturalists and traders in the hope of ultimately establishing their commonwealth, but more immediately of getting rich in silver and gold by commerce and in cattle and goods by their industry under the efficient protection of the British power. Their country is described by the prophet, and he's referring now to the prophecy of Ezekiel, the prophecy of Ezekiel 38 particularly, which is part of the restoration prophecies of the nation of Israel, which commence with their political restoration and end with their religious restoration and their conversion. And in Ezekiel 38, the state of the nation is described preparatory to World War III, to the Battle of Armageddon, to judgment upon the Jewish people and their deliverance by the Lord Jesus Christ. They are described as living in a land of unwalled villages whose inhabitants are at rest and dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates and possessed of silver and gold and cattle and goods dwelling in the midst of the land. When John Thomas wrote that, Palestine was controlled by the Ottoman Turkish Empire and had been controlled for 400 years. In 70 AD, the Romans had invaded Judah and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and scattered and expelled the Jewish people out of their ancient homelands and for 2,000 years they never existed as a nation. And Brother Thomas, as we fondly call him, didn't just make this up or guess what might happen. It wasn't a random um, dream that he had that he advanced to us in specific detail about the return of the nation of Israel back to their land and the nation, of course, uh, that would support them being the British power, which is interesting when he writes about um, the way in which the, scripture, the scriptures prophesied of Britain's uh, facilitation of the, of the uh, colonisation of the, of the return of the Jewish people to their land in specific detail. No, he says, I'm telling you this based on my analysis of Bible prophecy. And he advances references as, as proof of, of his uh, predictions of how Bible prophecy should be expected to play out. And we, living well after these events, have seen the fulfilment of those things which the prophets have spoken many, many years ago and John Thomas anticipated and died not seeing. And what have we seen? Israel regathered back to their land, Jewish people coming from all nations, established as a nation in their own land, ending centuries of conflict over the Holy Land, the Ottoman uh, Empire being the final of many that destroyed the city of Jerusalem and uh, ravaged the Holy Land many times over, reclaimed and built up the wastelands in occupation of the city of Jerusalem, in a state of being wealthy and successful, in occupation of the West Bank and living in peace and security among their particularly hostile Arab neighbours. And we have seen the fulfilment of all of those things that were prophesied 
and John Thomas referenced them and those scriptures were not mistaken. We've seen from really 1897 when the first Zionist Congress was held in Baal, Switzerland, outlining the dream of the Jewish people, which a lot of people scoffed at and laughed at, that it was an impossible thing. How could a nation that was not in existence for 2,000 years be re-established? And how could that happen in a land that had been, uh, that had been completely overrun by uh, other nations and other countries? Well, in 1897, that dream was given some substance. In the fallout of World War I in 1917, Britain... As Brother Thomas rightly said, I remember him writing something like, I don't know whether the people that govern the foreign policy of Britain entertain the idea that they will be the country that will facilitate Jewish emigration back into the land. But it doesn't matter what they think. God has said that that's what they will do. And we have seen that fulfilled. The outworking of World War I and Britain not only liberating the land of Palestine and the city of Jerusalem from the Ottoman Turkish power but also, of course, being given the mandate to preside over the land of Palestine and facilitate the emigration of the Jewish people. Bible students were electrified at how centuries-old and millennia-old prophecies were being fulfilled in these very last days, and the whole world saw that. The whole world was engulfed in a war that saw the drying up of the river Euphrates that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And in 1920, the San Remo Resolution, which really laid the basis for what later was formalised in the League of Nations, who in 1922 issued Britain a mandate over Palestine as the nations got together and apportioned all the land that was once occupied by the Ottoman Turkish power and assigned uh, caretaking nations over the welfare of those territories. Britain was given Palestine and Britain facilitated the return of the Jews back to their land. But of course, following the Second World War and an attempted annihilation of the Jewish people and their miraculous survival, the United Nations were forced to find a solution for the plight of the Jewish people. And they voted in November of 1947 for the partitioning of the land of Palestine to provide for a separate Jewish and Arab state Bible students were electrified at the possibility of the nation of Israel actually being proclaimed as a nation. As Ezekiel had said, I will make them one nation on the mountains of Israel. And that was made a reality in 1948. This is recent history, ladies and gentlemen. God doesn't expect blind faith. The words of the prophets that have been written in the Old Testament scriptures about the the pre-adventural colonisation of the Jewish people in their land was signalling to us that the kingdom of God was in motion because these events were acquired by Bible prophecy preparatory to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom. They had to be in the land. They had to be a nation. They had to fit the condition of Ezekiel 38. And we've seen year after year after year amazing, miraculous milestones that have no human explanation other than they have been fulfilment of Bible prophecy. 1967, after 2,000 years of having lost the city of Jerusalem, Jesus said Jerusalem would be trodden down of the Gentiles, but there would come a time when the Gentile domination of the city of Jerusalem would come to an end, and it did in 1967 in the miraculous Six-Day War. The Jewish people now have their ancient city, their ancient capital city in their position. 
We saw the way in which the Leviathan gas fines off the coast of Israel changed their fortunes. We saw the Trump peace plan and the effects of the Abraham Accord and the annexation of the West Bank. And we are living on the edge of our seats, ladies and gentlemen, because all of those things are tangible realities that there is a God and he's the God of Israel and that is his land and his city, Jerusalem. And he is at work to lay the basis of events that we have seen commence in earnest from the Zionist Federation in 1897 and continue relentlessly year after year, event after event, and they herald to us that Christ is very soon going to return to the earth to bring promised blessing to this earth. That's why we're so excited. And that's why we've put these lectures on. So whoever listens to these lectures, whether it's tonight or whether it's at a later time, might see the reality of the fulfilling word of God in the Old Testament scriptures that detail to us the things concerning the kingdom of God that is to come and the things concerning Jesus Christ. That encompasses the hope of Israel and God's plan with this earth. And the Lord Jesus Christ is still sending his disciples out into all the world to preach that same gospel message today. And calling upon people to believe that gospel message and to be baptised into the name of Jesus Christ and be saved. And we need hope, ladies and gentlemen, because the reality of our present condition, we live under the sentence of death. The wages of sin is death. And that is our reality, and that's the reality of all that are in Adam. However... God has extended a gift, an amazing gift, a priceless gift of eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest gift you could ever, ever even conceive possible to receive. That's the hope of Israel. That's the gospel message. So we shouldn't take that gift for granted. When the nation of Israel, Jeremiah spoke these words to the nation of Israel when they were going to go into captivity into Babylon. God was going to bring Babylon into Judah to bring judgment on a disobedient nation. And in the eve of impending judgment upon the nation of Judah, Jeremiah spoke these words to a small faithful remnant who hung on to the truth in the days the last days of Judah, to tell them that whilst judgment was happening to the nation at large, that God had different, a different purpose for the faithful remnant in Judah. And these words were addressed to them. I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Yes, you're going into captivity. But the thoughts that I have for you Despite the judgment that you will suffer as a result of the evil in your nation, the thoughts I have towards you, saith the Lord, they're thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that's the message that God gives to us who live on the eve of judgments that are going to come upon our world. If we're part of the faithful remnant, we're going to go through those judgments, yes, but not because God has evil thoughts toward us, but 
thoughts of peace, to give us a future and hope beyond coming judgment. Moses spoke these words to a generation who are about to enter into the promised land, into the kingdom of Israel. They had just buried their parents who lacked faith in the things concerning the kingdom of God and the things concerning Jesus Christ as he was foreshadowed by the uh, elements of their festival celebrations and the law that they were given. And to a new generation about to enter into the promised land, they were warned not to make the same mistake as their fathers who chose death and who were buried in the sands of the wilderness because they did not believe. God had given them a gift of the kingdom and they spurned that gift. And so to the new generation, Moses says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. It's the language of the Abrahamic promise, isn't it? I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. So choose life. That both thou and thy seed may live. And be careful in that choice, Moses said to that generation, because that choice you make will not just affect you, it will affect your family forever. So make that choice carefully. And that's why we've called you here tonight, ladies and gentlemen, because you need to make a choice. Time is running out. We don't have much time left. There is a hope of Israel. It is the gospel of the kingdom of God made possible by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that gospel is preached today. And we ask you to think carefully about the choice that God has placed before you. And choose wisely that both you and your children and your family.